Hello, listeners, and thank you for joining us for a very special community action update. This is Independent Shakespeare Company Ensemble member and Artistic Associate for Social Justice, Karen E. Rose Mekertichan, and it is my pleasure to spend the next hour or so exploring the Advancing Equity Through the Arts and Humanities Act with some of the artists responsible for its creation. At the time of this episode's recording, ISC is deep in the thick of our annual fundraising campaign, and some of you may wonder, Why do these arts institutions always ask us for money? As a local theater company that has been lucky enough to receive some grants and government funding, it is important to note that 80% of the funding we need to function each year comes from individual audience donations. And you can find all the information you need on donating to that at iscla.org. But now, why is it so hard for arts institutions in the United States to receive the funding they need, and what's being done to solve this problem? A little over two years ago, ISC Ensemble member Sabra Williams invited myself and others to be part of a collective of local artists working on social justice-oriented arts funding legislation for the Office of Representative Barbara Lee. This collective came to be known as the Arts Justice Coalition, and we drafted this legislation on the foundation of art making in addition to a deep understanding of policy making and social justice. H.R. 3239, or the Advancing Equity Through the Arts and Humanities Act, was reintroduced by local representative Barbara Lee last month, nearly a year after its initial introduction. I'll let Representative Lee speak on the importance of this bill. Hello, everyone. I'm so pleased to join you to uplift artists and creatives' role to advance equity through the arts and humanities. I would like to thank all of the advocates, individual artists, federal to local government officials, and the Arts Justice Coalition, who have worked with me to introduce the Advancing Equity Through the Arts and Humanities Act in Congress last year. Just last month, I was so pleased to reintroduce the Arts Justice Bill, House Bill 3239. This is the first piece of federal legislation that brings together the social and racial justice communities with artists, because we know the arts and humanities is a critical lever to dismantle systemic racism in the United States. H.R. 3239 has three goals. First, to create a grant program to support arts and humanities projects that directly combat systemic racism through the arts and humanities. Second, to increase resources for community-based organizations that serve and are led by people of color. And third, to bring racial justice and arts groups together to build a national movement on this issue of arts justice. With over 180 endorsing entities, We are building a movement to call for the implementation of policies that uplift and acknowledge the power of the arts and humanities. As the late icon, the great Harry Belafonte once said, many of the men and women whom I admire as artists, the things they write, the songs they sing, the admission is filled with inspired moments to overcome oppression. Mr. Belafonte was a tremendous example of someone who found meaning and broke barriers through the arts. This year, it is in his memory and on behalf of past, current, and future artists 
that I reintroduced the Advancing Equity Through the Arts and Humanities Act. Thank you to the artists that continue to create and inspire and lead the work to enact systemic changes through the arts. I stand with you in this effort. And we are so, so thankful to Representative Lee for taking time out of her busy schedule to share that statement with us. Our first guest is a fellow Californian artist based in the Bay Area, Grammy-nominated musician, educator, and member of Digital Underground, Mystic. Welcome, Mystic. Thank you so much for joining us today and for taking time out of your busy schedule to do this interview. Greetings and thank you for having me and thank you for being patient with me while I was healing from being sick and working with my schedule. Yeah, of course. Listen, we we've all got we've all got our our things going on, so it's yeah. all good. And we've been working together on this legislation that's at the center of this episode for what is it now like over two years, like two and a half years. We're definitely in the second. In the second year, because. It was reintroduced this year. So, yeah, it's been yeah. some time. Yeah, it's been some time. <laughs> but for our listeners who may not be familiar with you as a musician and artist and educator, all around amazing, wonderful, brilliant, inspirational human being, can you share a little bit about yourself and your art and your artistic identity? Yeah, yeah. So um, my mother named me Mandolin. Um, but my artist's name is Mystic, and my kinder people call me Miss Mandy. I am a lover, a doer, a dreamer, and a believer. I'm also uh, an educator, along with being an educationalist in terms of my research and being a scholar. And I'm also a Grammy-nominated and BET-nominated hip-hop artist and hey. um, member of of the legendary group Digital Underground. I started rhyming when I was 16. I started working with children when I was 17 um, and have primarily um, in that work with children been somebody who's designed and implemented arts curriculum. Um, and so, yeah, both are my loves. I am in Oakland, which should also be understood as Ohlone. Um, unseated Ohlone lands. Okay. And um, yeah, and I'm a home home chef and I'm my mother's daughter and my markers are dropping on the floor. But I think that's the the easy, the, the, the kind of basic summary of me. Um, but then I'll circle it back and say, um, so I was a high school dropout because I was just like, I'm going to be an artist in this world. I know who I am. This is it. And also because of trauma, right? And that arts was part of my healing in that. But I did step back from the music industry. Um, I released my first album in 2001, that album called Cuts for Luck and Scars for Freedom. And I stepped back from the industry and went back to school. I went to community college down there, Los Angeles Valley Community College. Hey. And transferred to UC Berkeley and then did my master's at um, University of Oxford. And in that, and the reason why that's relevant is, you know, my master's dissertation was on the use of culturally relevant arts education by educators of color, elementary school educators of color, oh. and the use of, of, of those arts and that arts education with children of color. Um, and so you know, that journey uh, is part of what brings us to 
the legislation that we've been working on. Art saved my life. Um, I'm not sure that I would be here with you, right? Like seeing your beautiful yeah. face, hearing your voice, working on legislation with you and just breathing. If my mother had not raised me in the arts, I started as, um, you know, as a, a ballet dancer and in a theater for the deaf and as a gymnast and went on to be a professional um, modern dancer as a youth and poet and creative writer and every every kind of area of the arts that I could I could go into and and I really really believe that the arts yeah they they save my life and that it's crucial for everybody to be able to to access them so yeah that's the connection my art and my educator and my activism and my organizer work yeah. is all in all intersects. It's all about community and love and justice and the need for us to be able to um, celebrate who we are in our cultures and our in our communities. And I think that part of the way that that happens is is through the arts. And I would also last thing I'll add on that <laughs> is that you know as we worked on the legislation together it was very clear to me that you and your studies and you and your background also had done some kind of study that related to policy work um and in my undergrad i did my research on the adoption of um post-apartheid curriculum reforms in south africa ah. and I studied at the university of cape town and I looked wow. at policy. I ended up writing a policy, uh, a policy-driven um, undergraduate thesis, and learned about learned about the policy cycle and the complexity of subsystems. And so, for the opportunity to come to be able to work on this legislation, felt like the totality of who I am as an <laughs> educator and scholar got to show up in one in one particular place. And, and so it's, a, it's beautiful. And that's my answer. <laughs> yes, yes, to that, to everything that you said, I feel like that was such a good summary of what is at the core of this episode, but not just this episode, but of this work, right? And you know, like you, you alluded to, I, I feel that and relate to everything that you said so deeply because I'm also someone who I cannot separate my my art, my work as an artist and as a you know performer and a poet and a writer and a singer and all of those things from my activism and my organizing for our communities and from my work as an educator. Sometimes people, you know, sometimes people will ask like, oh yeah, like I'll have people too who will say, you know, hopefully one day you don't need to have a day job or you don't need to like teach you don't need to do all these things and i have to explain like well i hear you and yes it'd be nice to like not need money because that's what you're trying to say yeah yeah but, like you should just be a big star but i have to center and explain that like my work as an educator is also at the core of of who i am as an artist and mm -hmm. of my activism because i am someone who yes the art saves lives and yes i don't know where I would be or who I would be if I didn't have 
the introduction and the access that I did have yeah. um, in my elementary school and even coming from a very low income background, but the way that I was able to, you know, get, get them scholarships and get into the programs that I could that were free for local youth. Like we had a, um, a Saturday conservatory program here that I think they still do where oh, if you're in elementary school, uh, educators would pick out a few kids who would go to LACC, I believe, no, Cal State LA uh -huh. on Saturdays, and we would be part of classes, and that was free. That was funded by mm -hmm. LAUSD, and the arts are always something that's cut and not seen as essential, right? Not seen right. as like, oh, you know, they just need to focus on the, the STEM things, which are very important, but art is so important, too, to making us, making sure we are well-rounded human yeah. beings with yeah. empathy yeah. who have, you know, it just provides different access points to worldviews. And, and art, along with all forms of knowledge, is power. And it Absolutely. is something that we should all have access to. So, and that's why we we worked on this. And I definitely also felt like, wow, what a gift to work on legislation that is really like speaks to the core of my work and everything that I try to do in everything, whether it is me performing or writing or teaching, it's that activism is at the core of all of it. So yeah, and it's the legislation when people take the time to to look at what we were able to create collectively, mm -hmm. a lot of times um, policy that's connected to the arts is really grounded in economic arguments. Um, and one of the reasons that arts are often not valorized within education, not just here, but globally speaking, is people can't connect it to the GDP. And they're like, well, what does that do for the job market? And what are the outcomes of that? Like, we understand the arts are good, but like, yeah, how does that connect to capitalism? How does that workforce um, development. And we have a lot of qualitative research, right? But people are looking for quantitative reasons. And so this, uh, the legislation we worked on is, is not grounded in these foundations of economic arguments. Yep. We understand that those arguments are valid and important and need to be part of the conversation. Let's also look at what it means to be able to help provide opportunity for artists and community organizations and faith-based organizations who, who have been historically and are currently often unable to access funding yeah. to be able to help support arts programming and education and just access and 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 at the same time disrupt white supremacy, right? That's right. That's the, and that's also like I was out in DC with with Westaff and talking about a lot of different kind of arts policies that are that are on the agenda and on the table. And ours is one that explicitly calls out white supremacy. And um, you know, look, there there's there's symbolic policy making and there's substantive policy making but just because policy people may make arguments that it's symbolic doesn't mean that it doesn't actually have impact 
Are we going to get all the people to sign on to the legislation that we need to? Well, I believe that we will eventually, right? That's right. Not be politicized in a way that it is, you know, well, your party or this pushback on on what they call critical race theory that's not being taught in schools, but they call it that anyway. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, that 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 oh, we're in a very in a very complex time mm-hmm. and hard time um within policy making, but also just as a as a nation. We need legislation like what we created to 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 help remind us that we still must address and I think it can, ha- I believe, I know it can happen through the arts for our liberation and our freedom and our healing and our community. There's nothing about our legislation that says this is only for, for babies of color or for communities yeah. of color. We're talking about access to quality, equitable arts programming and education, regardless of where you are in this nation. And regardless of your cultural or racial or socioeconomic background, the arts are critical, not just because they save lives, not just because they actually do contribute in a massive way, at least in the state of California, to the economy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but because the arts simply are to be able to learn yourself yeah. Know yourself to cl- to 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 claim the you that you don't even know yet through your movement, through your words, through your character, through your you know just through through all of it. That use of imagination and and heart and love and presence, the way that we're able to thrive in the arts um is just so powerful. So yeah. Anyway, mm. you and I back and forth, right? Choir. I know, but it's like you. I mean, you, you, you really spoke to it. You spoke to why why we are involved in this, why this legislation is important. And I think one thing that really struck me about um, that really like a word that sticks with me is equity. And it's like, why is equity in the actual title of the legislation? Because I think a lot of people, which you just really broke down, but a lot of people don't understand that um, when we think about things like equity, when we think about things like social justice, when we think about all of that, what does that have to do with the arts? Some people are not able to really see or make that connection or why it is important to acknowledge white supremacy, which is steeped into this country. Is that the foundation of this country? And is that the foundation of a lot of the, what the general population um, sees as the arts, sees as the arts and entertainment, sees as the entertainment industry. A lot of that is steeped in some of these institutions that have not necessarily that. I mean, I don't know why I'm wondering that. That haven't. Right. (laughs) For the people in our community who are marginalized, haven't held space for the people who are responsible for the building of this nation, for the indigenous folks whose land this is that we are on, for the black folks who built this country, for the immigrant folks whose labor has and continues to be exploited. Mm -hmm. 
for this country and the arts i've always seen as a pathway to you know empathy to sharing different perspectives and touching people in a way that sometimes just looking at a piece of legislation for example isn't going to move someone in the way that seeing right. a piece of theater is or listening to music or uh, watching in like indigenous dance, like yeah. it's not gonna reach you in the way um, that art and feeling and experiencing that in community and yeah. holding space for others who historically have not had that space, who have not had that funding and support. Right. Does, because in other nations, they do support and uplift the arts or the, the government, you know, kind it's of fun. So that is so important and that you focus on the equity component. Um, so in my undergraduate research, I, I proposed a new theoretical working framework for analysis called holistic equity. Part of my argument being that 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 equity, right, for and for people who are listening, I make no assumption that people can't make a distinction between equality and equity, but you need to have equity to get to equality. And yes. it's important. Equity, important. It is, makes, makes the case that there are three components to equity, holistic equity, and the first is access. Mm -hmm. And the second is um, equal educational opportunities, and the third is kind of like adequacy and, and the outcomes. What I found across nations, America, Chile, Brazil, South Africa, was a failure in, in all countries to, not that there hasn't been progress, but a failure to, 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 to create equity through policymaking in education around those equal education opportunities. If we use that framework to think about the arts, and equity in the arts, we got to begin at access. Yep. What we know is that in connection with the rise of neoliberal economic policies, not only here in America, but globally speaking, the more that that was implemented and standardized testing, the more that the arts have been displaced from mm. the curriculum, because again, they cannot be tied to the GDP. They cannot be tied uh, to you work. Really test them? Yeah, yeah. You, you, you can test yeah. someone's artistic. Arts. I mean, my my dance teachers would argue differently, right? You can evaluate. Right. It's not right. using a standardized a standardized test. You are not filling in um, bubbles for for these things because a part of it is about you. How is it that you embody that character? How is it that you do that movement? How do you own it? People have been playing the same classical pieces for hundreds you know, of years, but the beauty is in the way that the, the person plays. It is their yeah. spirit, right? That they, yeah. that they put into it so that, but that access, and, and we've seen this drop um, in way higher numbers in drop of access to arts within schools and within communities, if it's black, yeah. brown, indigenous. Even when it's part of the curriculum. It, well, they like, say that it's, that here it's in LA. for you, but also how are educators being trained in their teacher prep programs um, to embed arts within what they're teaching or to facilitate arts 
where do we put these things when funding for schools is tied to the outcomes of your tests? Who wants to support the theater program? Who wants right. to music program? But look, I have worked in some very well, like wealthy population schools with more expendable income in terms of the families being served. All those schools have arts. Yep, absolutely. So is it just that the arts is not for indigenous and, and, and poor children and youth and babies in our communities? And, and 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 again, that equity and the legislation that we've created, you know, and shout out to Sabra and shout out to every artist who has worked on creating this because that was also a different part of the creation of this legislation, right? Is that we are artists. We are creatives helping to write this legislation. We are not just a bunch of policymakers who are like, yeah, I think the arts are important. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah. Hi, mom. Um, it's, um, I lost my train of thought, but it's um, that, that the part that we are, the point that we are, are, are all artists to help to help to create it. That's what it is. The equity with the, it's, it's equity and funding. Yes. It's funding. And when you do not have either, you know, whether it's academic or it's social capital or experience or guidance to write your grant applications, yeah, that part funding that, that the same part. massive organizations are getting, then yeah, it's not just historical, but it's currently that artists and creatives and organizations and 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 people who have been historically and currently excluded and our art has often been deemed to not be valuable as a as part of cultural production and cultural yet it's in everything yet it's yet it's everywhere and so it's like let's let's it's like art is not about politicizing the politicizing the arts yeah, or making it a partisan thing, which yeah, you know, yeah. So, not partisan. If it makes act. people uncomfortable that we call out white supremacy, yeah. Well, it's a, it's good to be uncomfortable sometimes. It's like you know what you were talking about with critical race theory. It's you know there is a lot of um, these days with certain folks. There's a lot of uh, discomfort with actual historic facts. Actually, that's a very nice way to say it. A very nice way to say it. That you know, yeah, it's like it actually is um, history, and and for too long, the history that's taught in schools has not allowed us to understand the power and beauty of our culture and communities and ourselves, and that's for all. The students, right? It's what everyone. Everyone would benefit from it. That's why people think it's you know everybody would benefit from it, but would be harmed I, by this when they're not. No one is harmed by the truth. Yeah, yeah. You can't well, be harmed by what is reality. <laughs> you can't be harmed by knowing your history right. and knowing how the legacy of that history and the systems put in place during certain times still impact us today. Yeah, yeah. But it is seen as something that is threatening when it shouldn't be. And it's, it's, you know, a lot of folks too, I think if they really, you brought up so many things, but if they really pay attention to the fact that 
a lot of us who work as teaching artists, right? For example, mm -hmm. we come into schools from secondary nonprofit agencies, like talking about myself for a lot of the teaching that I do, I work with companies as a teaching artist, I usually center either we're teaching performance, playwriting, dance, singing, like all of those things. We have to come into schools because there is another organization, nonprofit organization that is getting funding for that. Or we are going into, like with Saber, we are going into our youth facilities, our camps and halls and teaching in those spaces because that is not something that is actively provided and funded. It is something that other folks have had to make sure that these communities and these schools have access to when they should already be part of the curriculum. We have to go into these spaces to supplement because it is not part of the curriculum. Just like we as artists have to get grants, we have to fundraise, we have to do all of these things. So, you know, some people I know they're like, wow, you all are always fundraising. We have to fundraise. Well, I mean, how, right? How else is it? We can't do anything. We can't be accessible or affordable without fundraising. Yeah. And we can't pay people. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, is like, look, for those of us who who are who are kind of i hesitate to use the word blessed but who who have known kind of our whole lives that our calling is to be an artist that that is who we are that that is the way we connect with ourselves and connect with the world for those of us who have become educators of some kind um and and we do it across our lives Look, I am. I currently own 49 years. I started at 17. My original kindergartners and first and second graders, they are grown folks with their own lives and their own families now. And they still remember those poems we wrote about the world and ourselves and like exploring ourselves. They still remember the dance classes that I taught. They still, they still remember me as probably this kind of, you know, beautifully in the best way, wild and different um, human who's just like, who are you and what does your heart say? And how do you wanna share that with the world? Again, that's not quantitative, but yeah. but I can literally say- Can see the impact. They, I can see the impact going on 30 years from when I originally began. And it still is happening and, and art saves lives. It creates lives, it builds lives. And, and art, is, art contributes to shifting. It, it's necessary, right? I always say, look, you know that saying, I don't wanna be part of your revolution if there's no like dancing at your revolution, right? Like mm -hmm. dance at the revolution, That's I right. want music, I want paintings, I want, you know, I I, I, I want your plays. I, I want all of it because part of what we are doing as artists and the reason that fighting for access to arts is so important, funding to fund access to the arts the, the experiences of the arts is because it helps us shift from a paradigm that is capitalistic, that is oppressive, that is exploitive, that is grounded in violence uh, and separation across cultures and borders. The arts help us create 
what is necessary to shift to a paradigm of love and community, collective and healing and compassion and empathy and just that's that's part of what the arts do. They also are just like really fun, right? <laughs> you know? One of my kinder people last week, we were working on some math and she just looked at me and she said, Miss Mandy, could I make some art now? And my heart breaks because I was like, my love, just hold, hold, finish that paper for me and then I got you. Let's just go through what we have to do. And that's part of the hard part of teaching in a formal classroom and not, not being an arts teacher, but just like we have a whole bunch of people in the world that the best way that we communicate and the best ways that we learn and the best ways that we love and the best and you know, maybe best is not the correct adjective, but but for lack of a better one at the moment, like some of us, the arts are the best way for us to to do that. And if you put people who are different from each other, when we step into a room and we create together, it breaks down boundaries. There is a vulnerability and a power that exists. Mm in living in the arts and shifting that that paradigm together as artists. Whew. I just oh, I got chills. Mm. That that's it. That's that's what it is. I couldn't have um said it better myself and I can't yeah, think I of a better it. note to end on. You got me all in my feels all the water, but it's thank you. And people will hear this. No thank you. People will hear this but for people who are listening, I am looking at your face, right? We are two creatives and two artists and two educators and two lovers and dreamers and activists and organizers. And that's why I said it's the choir, right? Singing to the choir, but it's because both of us are able to be seen and see ourselves through the arts. And we both also are like, we understand it's not all glitter and frilly and plays, that there has to be legislation. There has to be policy that, 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 that makes things more equ equitable and that will force a change within community funding and educational systems um, so that other people have the tools to navigate the world like you and I do. So thank you for having me today. Thank you for being part of this journey to, 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 to write the legislation and now to, to try to get people to, to encourage their representatives to, to sign, sign on to it. Yes, please. Just sign on. Just sign on. Call your friends, email your friends. Text yeah, them. look at, see, you can look online. We'll have lots of resources that we're going to share. Yeah, and our end at ISD as well. You can see, you can check if your representative um, yeah. co-sponsored, if they signed on, if there's someone who was supportive when it was first introduced last year, if they are still in support. I believe all of them still are, everyone who- Yeah, we need the new support. people. So yeah, we need new people. That's what I'm so saying. Call, 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 check. Email your friends, particularly who may be in, um, you know, more uh, uh, Republican-led states. 
Yes. Um, we really, really want to make this this nonpartisan, bipartisan um, legislation. It's the only way that it's going to get passed passed through. And yeah. we need to tell the people who represent us, please co-sponsor, please help bring this legislation. Like, let's move it. Let's move it forward for our our communities and our collective children. For our future, for our future generations. For, for our future generations, for our present and our future, and also to heal, heal the parts the of our past. past we carry, carry with us and within us. That's right. Well, thank you, Mystic. I'm sure I'll thank be you. I'll be on a meeting with you probably <laughs> sometime soon. So I know these we have a meeting to Wednesday. Okay. Um, an upcoming Wednesday. Yeah, don't have, don't have rehearsal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we'll be on one soon. And just you know, thank you for for featuring this um, as part of your conversation. Thank you for being uh, a part of this journey. It's again, it's such an honor to be on this journey with you and to be in this with you. Thank you and love upon love. Ditto. Thank you and love you too. <laughs> love you. Throwing up hearts over here. You can learn more about Mystic and support her incredible work by following her on Instagram at thatgirlmystic, where you can find links to all of her artivist endeavors in her link tree or on her website at mysticworldwide.com. Our next member of the Arts Justice Coalition is no stranger to the ISC family, having been part of our Keeping the Momentum panel of Black theater artists back in 2020. Sophina Brown is a staple of the LA theater community as a local actor, producer, and founder and executive director of Support Black Theater. You may also recognize her from numerous film and television credits, and she most recently played Sarah in the Hulu miniseries Kindred. Sophina, thank you so much for joining me today. You're, you're definitely someone whom our, our ISC audience and the LA theater community is very familiar with. So happy to have you. Oh, so, so great to be here. And thank you so much for inviting me. <clears throat> thank you for having me. Yes, of course. So just to start us off today for our listeners who may not be familiar with you as an artist, producer, and founder of Support Black Theater, can you just share a little bit about yourself and your artistic identity? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, of course, I started, you know, acting really, really young, um, came through the University of Michigan for my undergraduate and um, moved to New York uh, right out of school and started working professionally pretty quickly. Uh, and I was in New York for about six and a half, seven years. And then I came out to LA thinking I would go right back to New York, but then I caught a piece of this weather, honey. And I was like, mm -mm. <laughs> like sunlight every day. I don't have to live in a basement. Okay. That's um, right. <laughs> you know, so I, I've been out here now for, gosh, I think it's been like 16 years, something like that. Wow. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, working mostly in theater and television really has been my bread and butter. But um, around 2015, uh, really with the introduction to August Wilson's speech at TCG, um, the ground on which I stand, someone gave that to me. And it was really kind of like um, 
a defining moment for me as an artist when I, I really identified with not only the words, obviously that, you know, the speech, the, the content, um, but also I was at a time in my life where I was really, um, coming into some of the trauma that I had gone through, uh, based in my identity of being a biracial woman, I was, I was really going through a period of healing and, um, reconciliation with myself to myself, uh, however you kind of want to say that, but it was very much this moment that out, out of which, um, I started realizing that there needed to be more opportunities for artists of color in Los Angeles' theater community, but not just artists of color, specifically Black artists, opportunities of value. And because of that speech, I started looking at the work of Wilson and started um, gathering folks together to uh, read plays in my home. And that led to producing workshops. And then that led to full productions. Um, and as I, you know, started producing more in Los Angeles, I really started being able to see kind of like that peek behind the curtain, um, that was shocking to me in terms of all of the systems that were at play to keep black artists from really being the custodians and the stewards of black stories. Mm. And that was uh, really painful, I I'll say. It was really painful. And so I was like, besides producing more Black work as an individual producer, what else can I do to um, fill these gaps um, in resources, information gaps, funding gaps? And that was kind of how Support Black Theater was born in my, in my mind, you know? And, um, so really kicking things off the beginning of, of, uh, 2020, um, we had our first town hall, February 1st of 2020 and wow. we just rolled from there. Yeah. It's wild to think about the amount of time that has passed and how much has happened. I know. Like, I know. What, three years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really, it's been an amazing journey though. And it's the more, um, the more I know, the deeper my passion and commitment um, grows, I guess you would say. it's. It has been a journey that even though it's been a lot of hard work, um, it has been so fulfilling, you know? Um, I, I have to say it has been such a source of joy for me. And I'm really grateful in terms of to just the relationship building that has happened over the past three years and being able to just see how in, I mean, I knew this before, but I feel like I have an even more in-depth and closer look because I am really going out there even more than I did, like seeing at least two or three plays a week and just looking at how incredible the arts community of Los Angeles is and how there is so much that is untapped just yes. in terms of the potential. Um, it, it has, I mean, there, there's so much great work 
being done in the smallest of pockets, you know, by um, artists that are, are right now relatively unknown, but you just go in and you see this, these incredible storytellers. And it's like, LA is absolutely, I always say LA is absolutely a theater town. People yes, don't thank you. Yes, it's absolutely a theater town. It's a poetry town. It's a, all of the things, you know? And so we do so much more than just television and film. Um, and it really, it really deserves to be highlighted, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of those things, you know, you know, that comes up a lot is that idea that LA, because, you know, we're always being compared to New York, doesn't have mm-hmm. a theater uh, ecosystem or culture. And it does. And it's, it's very vast. It's very spread out. It's very diverse as far mm-hmm. as the range of types of theater, of houses, of of the ensembles that you'll see. But what I love about theater making and art making in LA, especially like if you're comparing us to New York, is that it's just not as, you know, corporate, Broadway focused Mm -hmm. in that sense. There's so much more new work or um, creative takes on on existing works that I I find here that we have that I love. Absolutely. And there's something about the theater scene not, and, and no shade to anywhere else, but I will say there's yeah. something about LA that allows more space for risk, mm. especially like in terms of new work. And I don't know, there's something here. I, I was, I was reading an article, um, uh, a playwright that's being produced all over, you know, in New York and everything. And he was saying LA to him, it's like, it's where he would want to workshop his pieces because people just take more risks. There's more Mm. of an an intimate kind of like, um, you know, I don't even, I don't, I don't remember the exact words that he used, but I remember I, my back got a little bit taller after reading, you know, (laughs) His words yeah. about LA, you know what I mean? I was like, yes, that is LA. That is our theater. I love hearing that because yeah. I feel like people don't even think when they're thinking, oh, I want to workshop something. I mean, LA theater artists, we of course will be workshopping things here, but mm-hmm. I never really thought that maybe a, like artists that are based in New York or based in other places, based in London, based wherever they're based, um, would want to workshop things here. And I do wonder what that is. Maybe it's that. Um, even though LA's theater community is very like vast and we have so many, um, you know, theaters and, and theater companies, Mm -hmm. there is something almost more intimate about it that maybe would lend itself to workshopping, like almost just like getting feedback or from the community. It feels like the community is maybe smaller in that sense where you have a lot of like theater people and art makers willing to like, we all see each other's stuff and we all, you know, share and give feedback. So maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It was really interesting um, to, to read that. And I think too, that there's something about um, what you were talking about in terms of just, there's a less corporate feel out here. And I think also once you have achieved a certain amount of commercial success over in New York, people are looking at you differently and you feel like you don't have the, um, 
luxury of trying something new and failing and having that be okay. You know, um, I, I was just someone, I can't remember who it was that said this the other day, but they were saying, you know, failure is not the opposite of success. It's an ingredient of success. It's mm. part of success, you know? And it's Ooh, like, I gotta keep right. <laughs> right. And it's, it's one of those things where I do feel like artists out here in LA, especially theater artists, that's kind of mostly what I know, but I'm, I'm sure it crosses mediums, but there is something out here that feels as an artist, you feel held by this community in a way that I feel like maybe you don't on the East coast all the time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the amazing things that you have. I mean, it's been there in some ways here in LA, of course, but what you've done with support black theater, which has been so incredible for our black LA theater community and black theater ecosystem here like that that is that is creating and building that community and and making us all feel so held that we have this this organization but this community mm-hmm. that is support black theater that we as black theater artists in LA know that support black theater has got our back we can always read it like we know Sophina mm-hmm. Sophina's got us and and it's been such a gift to work with you and to see all of the things that have happened in the last three years with support black theater. I don't know if you want to just like speak on that a little bit and, and share. Cause I mean, it's been so many things. So I know it could, you could talk about everything that's happened for hours and hours, but if there's some like key moments or things that really stick with you, um, cause it's been a weird time, you know, with, yeah. with COVID, with everything, it's, it's been a time. It has. <laughs> It has. And it's it that thank you for saying that though, Karen, because it has it's and it's still a very interesting time, right? We're in we, we haven't quite gotten to kind of like this um state of I guess what we would like to call norm normal in terms of attendance of the theater. You know, we haven't we're still working on building those audiences and inviting people back into um these uh, spaces with us and it's been a process. And so all these past three years, you know, for various reasons have been very different, but in spite of all of that, um, as a new organization, we have seen a lot of really incredible successes and um, our impact has been really, um, it's just been like, again, such a, a pleasure and a joy to see that we've been able to achieve several goals that we put out, you know, initially um, with our, you know, our mission statement. It's a three-pronged approach here. It's like, it's about capacity building Black theaters. It's about developing Black artists and Black work. And it's also about cultivating and nurturing Black audiences. And so, you know, having a program programs designed where, you know, we have three foundational programs that each are uh, a match to those three goals Um, and seeing just both the qualitative success and the quantitative success of these programs in such a short period of time. Some of the highlights and things that I'm just uh, 
most proud of that we've been able to do as an organization, you know, in terms of uh, our pipeline program, you know, being able to support um, and, you know, present um, at times over 10 new plays and that, you know, now the, the design of the pipeline is at the, the root of it, it's to have more Black stories being fully produced in Black spaces. And we're seeing like that first um, kind of uh, cycle with this year being the first full production of a play that's come through the Support Black Theater New Works Pipeline. That um, was a full circle moment, you know, and um, just all of the playwrights that we've been able to um, support through that program. But then also, you know, in terms of audience uh, engagement and, and audience development, which is not transactional, which I, we always talk about, that's the one thing we never wanted to do is have some transactional audience engagement. But yes. for our Talk Forward program, it's been truly relationship building and seeing the audiences that have participated in the Talk Forward um, actually feel invested and not and to the point of feeling ownership when they're coming in to uh, you know participate in the pieces, not just as attendees or audience members or just viewers, but they feel I remember one of the audience <laughs> one of the audience yeah, it's like part of the process. And one of the audience members was like, as soon as the actress walked out on stage, when she, you know, because she had been going through the series, the Talk Forward programming beforehand. And she said, as soon as I got in the dark theater and the, the actress walked out on stage, I went, this is, this is mine. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like she felt a part of not just, you know, a spectator. And so that has been really significant. But I think the thing that has been the most incredible is in terms of capacity building, the workshops that we've been able to conduct through our EQUIP program for uh, Black theater leaders has led to, um, you know, Black theater artistic, you know, founders, artistic directors, Black leaders in Los Angeles being able to directly get over a half a million dollars in awarded funds as a direct result of our workshops. That's that, right. Yeah, that has <laughs> I mean, been. We gotta, I have to uplift that because that is, it's uh, huge. And for folks listening who maybe are not involved in in theater and art making at all and maybe unaware of what it is to really fundraise and to be able to have to support yourself as an artist because it's not easy and then when you add on to that all of the layers of being a black art maker in this country or trying to produce art that is specifically black for the for us by us it's not easy so yes. like I just I had to like a little exclamation on that because that's huge it's yes huge. yes yes it's been it's been great and just also in terms of just being you know really just trying to be in the community and be a help meet whether it's you know uplifting things through our social media platforms or helping to market and promote shows like now we're we're in the last three I think we're over 500 shows that we've been able to promote through our platforms I know it's crazy, right? When you think of it in terms of events, shows, readings, workshops, full productions, I think we're over 500 now. Um, 
and just being a resource to the community. It's just, it's been a blessing. And artists too. I mean, um, because SBT like is supporting and uplifting individual artists and art makers as well. And, Mm -hmm. and their words uh, in that way too. Like that's been part of it as well. In addition to like specific productions, but, and not just artists, what a lot of people also may not be aware of is businesses black businesses that that's been a really beautiful thing that i think la theater still i mean theater overall at least in this country has a ways to catch up on when it comes to like taking theater because especially in this country i found we've made it this like elitist expensive to the average person who may not know that they have access to all of this art or may not feel welcome Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of folks in our community who step into some of these spaces and don't feel welcome, don't feel seen. Yes. And making that connection between not just inviting people in as artists, as audience, but also inviting the community in through our businesses and making those connections and really building and creating a full ecosystem that includes everyone. That's so it's exactly. there isn't just a separate thing from That's- the community. That's right. That has been a baseline, as you know, for us from the jump, you know, uh, generating cultural capital is what I always say. And not just, um, you know, capital as we're used to term, you know, and we're talking about funding and dollars, but, but relationship is our greatest resource. And I have always been like, I believe that Black theater can be at the center of community service. And the way that we serve is, you know, it, just like you're talking about meeting people exactly where they're at and meeting needs exactly where people, it's it's something where we have always taken into consideration the ecosystem. It's more than just, you know, producing events or putting, it's like, how can we, once we have the door open in any way, in any area, bring as many people through that opportunity or through that opening as possible. And so really being creative with how we, and you see this more and more now, but really being creative with how we partner and collaborate with one another, because art is for everyone. I mean, this is a perfect segue into, I think, what you want to talk about today, but it really is for everyone. And I I definitely see theater that way. And there are a lot of disciplines included, right? When we make that statement. Um, And it's not just a a source of entertainment. And we're not saying, oh, it it can be for everyone because everyone can be entertained. But no, 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 no. It's much deeper than that. It's something, it is necessary. It's what what makes us human. Absolutely. Absolutely. That no AI, no uh, g- goggles for, you know, can't. can't <laughs> you better speak on it. Okay. okay? It, it's I, like, I, I keep telling people that with everything that's happening right now with like yeah. strikes and I'm like, well, you can't AI live theater. I mean, that's you could right. try, you could try that's and have right. holograms, but like people who come out to see a live performance yep. want to experience those live actors, that live production, that real life sense of community, you That's cannot right. get that on your own. AI cannot do that. Okay. No, you cannot open a can and get that out. That's absolutely right. <laughs> and everybody knows when you go into a theater and you have that 
experience, you know what I'm talking about. That thing mm-hmm. that can only happen in the theater where you're like, oh my goodness, the molecules are changing in this room right now. And you have every cell in your body that's linking up body, soul, mind, and spirit with the person sitting next to you, behind you, in front of you. And you're having this communal experience. Someone asked me, they were like, Sophina, why are you an actor? Like, what made you, this was like, actually somebody in my family was like, I I don't even know what it is that, why do you kind of want to be an actor? Is it like, were you, you know, there is an aspect of it that can be very lucrative, right? If you're successful, was it a money thing? And I was like, no, it's just because in theater, in storytelling, it's where I saw the most potential for transformation and healing. It, yeah. it can all like there, it's always possible. Whenever I walk into that dark room and I sit down, you know, it's like I know that my healing is possible in the next 90 minutes to two and a half hours, whatever the case may be. And so I don't feel that way when I'm watching necessarily, um, you know, um, television at home by myself, there's something about the communal aspect of theater. You just can't duplicate, you know, and uh, it's a very powerful thing. And I think it's, it's not just, uh, it's not just enjoyable, but it's necessary. That's all I can think. It's just very necessary and vital. Yeah, it is. And it's one of those things that which we'll we'll get into talking about now, but you see it in in our schools and in our curriculums too. The arts are often what gets there, what gets cut first. They the arts are seen. I mean, and we've talked about this a lot since, you know, 2020. What is essential, quote unquote essential? What is essential work? are the arts even quote unquote essential? Like the fact that that is even a question to me is something that is so difficult to wrap my mind around because that's what gives us empathy. That's how we really share and hold space and and learn and and see someone else's perspectives or just have fun and in community or feel Mm -hmm. and try in community. It's just, it's, it's so different. And you, you've been doing this work as we've talked about, like, not just as an artist, but with Support Black Theater, but you've even taken that a step further because you are one of the folks, uh, which has been so fun to also be part of this collective with you over the last, what, like two, two and a half years, but you're one of the folks that is also part of the Arts Justice Coalition or the people Mm -hmm. who helped co-author the Advancing Equity Through the Arts and Humanities Act, which has been reintroduced and is at the center of our episode today. So I love if you could just share a little bit about why you, especially you, Sophia, because you are busy. <laughs> but <laughs> why you are busy, but why you made a point to also be part of, of this space and this collective and the value that you you see in this legislation from your perspective and from all of this work that you're doing because if anyone would understand why it's important and necessary you would because you really are out here doing this exact work yeah i will say i have to confess that i had a certain amount of ignorance around legislation before um 
getting slapped in the face by AB5. I was like, what mm-hmm. is happening? What, what are we, you know, and getting into those conversations as a producer um, and kind of like digging a little bit deeper, I started asking questions like, who are the architects of legislation? Like, like how does a bill come to even be? I didn't know. And um, particularly when COVID hit and there were some other bills that I got really curious about how these, um, just the genesis of all of it, like what, what, how is a bill even formed? And so when I was approached, um, because I was really like, once I understood, I was like, we need more black architects, you know, um, when putting these bills together. So when I was approached to be a part of this coalition, I was absolutely on board, um, and, you know, politics and art is, it's, it really is, it's so related, you know, um, everything is story, everything is narrative. And, mm. you know, the, I think it was John Lewis, he talks about how, when he's talking about the civil rights movie, he's like the movement without storytelling, it would have been a bird without wings, you know, mm. it's just, it is they really are closely tied together. And we see that with some of our like greatest um, thought leaders, you know, like W.E.B. Du Bois. I always say this. I was like, W.E.B. Du Bois started the NAACP. He was a founder of the NAACP. Very um, politically active. And he also started a theater company, you know, Krigwa Players, because these are two things that are very closely linked, I believe. And so being able to be a part of these discussions and really uh, being able to map out how community members all over could um, really get, uh, you know, agency through art and knowing that this particular bill is building pipelines of access to that art, to that agency. It was really important for me. And, and, and specifically because it talk, this bill talks a lot about access to grants, like competitive grants. And that was one of the things that I've been learning a lot about over the course of you know um, being executive director of Support Black Theater and understanding how inherently biased uh, grants are and the, the process and uh, the RFPs, like really being able to kind of yeah. see how the sausage is made once yeah. you get into certain rooms. Um, and then saying, wow, we as a coalition can put into this bill, we can basically build this as people who have gone through and know exactly what the challenges are, what the hurdles always are when we're faced with getting funding, when we're faced with all of, all just all of the barriers to access, to resources, to support, we can build this bill, bill with, with us and everyone like us in mind. I couldn't turn down that opportunity. And it's been, it's been so um, fulfilling. And to, and to see it go from a blank Google Doc. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's been really wonderful. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I mean, I can speak to that too being part of this process. It's it really has I you just saying that right now about to see it go from a blank Google Doc cuz it really was. Yeah. We really just started out having, you know, conversations and to see where it is now and and hopefully it's it's being reintroduced now again for the uh, for the second time. So hopefully it'll it'll be passed because it is it's it's really not only is it very critical legislation for for the arts and for those who are most marginalized in our arts community, mm-hmm. um, but it, there really hasn't been anything like it before. There mm-hmm. there hasn't been any arts like federal arts legislation that is so centered in um, equity and, mm-hmm. and justice and centering the communities and the folks who are always, you know, left out of a lot of these um, conversations and spaces and, and left out of like access to certain funding streams because of, as you know, there's just various criteria that because of the systems in place, Mm -hmm. a lot of folks won't necessarily ever be able to meet to get access to this funding. So it's so important in closing those gaps. We -hmm. talk a lot about all of these, you know, theater companies and institutions who say like they're they're here and 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 down for the cause and and about it especially since june of 2020 but how are we really 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 doing things and moving beyond performativity to Mm -hmm. say like okay how are we changing the systems and a lot of that as much as we as artists don't want to talk about it Mm -hmm. a lot of that comes down to money comes down to money and funding because that's just where we're at and where we have to be until we have more federal funding streams for everyone. Because there are other um, countries where the arts are, you know, almost entirely funded by that's the government. Great. So all of these artists and theater companies don't need to do all of this, like, annual fundraising. And, you know, here yeah. our ISC listeners know we're always like, hey, fundraising, because we yeah. do Shakespeare and Griffith Park. Well, we still got to pay for stuff, and that's right. We got to do what we got to do. So it's it's important. Um, and just before we close out, I I was wondering if you could. This is still you know in line with what we've been chatting about, but for our Angelinos who are listening and our local theater audience goers and theater audiences, what are ways that you can see this like specifically? impacting our local LA community. Yeah, I mean one of the one of the things that is very near and dear to my heart um that I feel like doesn't get talked about enough and I feel like this bill um does have um an eye on has has the ability to address is structural inequity inequity. Uh, meaning that there are a lot of spaces in Los Angeles that are culturally specific arts organizations, Black theaters. You know, we have, you know, spaces like Waco, um, Ebony Rep, The Roby, Town Street. We have Native Voices. We have East West Players. We have culturally specific, you know, Latino um, theater company that um, I really want to see 
um, this bill come to pass to really help aid in the organizational health and resiliency of culturally specific theaters Mm. because a lot of attention is on diversifying white spaces. Unfortunately, that doesn't, that oftentimes leaves out those culturally specific institutions that have been like community stalwarts and the backbone for so many artists to come through. And so we really, um, I really want to see those institutions helped and and capacity built and, and supported with this bill, particularly, like I said, those institutions in Los Angeles, because I honestly believe as a nation, like I said, this is kind of a full circle moment to the start of our conversation. The nation looks at Los Angeles as a television and film city, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of talk about that particular industry, not looking the way that we think it should look in terms of demographics. And people are trying to change the landscape, but I'll tell you how you really influence the landscape and it's playing the long game. This isn't an (laughs) over thing, but if we really build up our culturally specific institutions in the, you know, the theaters especially, they become training hubs. They become places where our community at a young age, but at any age, come in to receive um, training, information, experience. People grow to love the arts, the theater, music, dance, whatever it is. And they come up in these institutions and build their skill sets because there's not one skill set out there that isn't utilized in the theater, but they build their skill sets up. And then what's right in their backyard is the television and film industry, right? Exactly. And that they filter in and not only do they filter in and we change demographics and the landscape of that industry, but then those artists who were nurtured cared for and given experience and hands-on, you know, opportunities and experience when they are in that very lucrative television and film um, business, they turn back and they say, I'm giving back to the place that had my back, you know, is, which is the theaters, right? And you build this beautiful cycle, this reciprocity, this, this amazing thing happens, right? Where everybody wins. And I think that's how we also, um, you know, work on that, uh, that the wealth gap, you know what I'm saying? And in terms Mm -hmm. of California, having that wealth gap, but the film and television industry is huge. So we should be having more artists of color going in, you know, instead of going thinking that the primary way is predominantly white institutions, whether that be academic or otherwise, I feel like we have to look to our cultural institutions um, as another opportunity, another another pathway or pipeline to really increasing the, the Black workforce in Los Angeles and just, you know, art, just people of color being able to, to come in and find another, uh, another road of access to, um, you know, building, building wealth and, and, and their artistry. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, yes, ma'am. And that was, uh, that was a word. Like, (laughs) oh, you said that it's so true. And, and I'm going to say it because you're not going to say it, but you are like the perfect model for that. You are someone who has done that, who, um, has done everything that you possibly can with what you have 
to give back to the community and to help build up that ecosystem and create create that ecosystem, like really a, an ecosystem that can be sustained and mm -hmm. can keep going. So for that, I thank you. <laughs> well, um, that's, so that's you working, you, 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 you working over there over time. I know you overstand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, I know, but still like it's, and I definitely encourage anyone if if you're listening and you don't know about Support Black Theater, we'll have all sorts of links in the episode description, and and we have had on our ISC website links and and information on SBT. So please look up Support Black Theater if you haven't, especially as an Angelino, because we're right here, so you can come come out to events, come support us, get involved, all of those things. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you, so you Carrie. Being part of this. And you know I'll I'll be seeing and, and talking to you soon. Absolutely. Follow Support Black Theater on Instagram at support black theater or at supportblacktheater.org. Head to bit.ly slash hr three two three nine dash toolkit the link in our bio or at iscla.org justice to access the Advancing Equity Through the Arts and Humanities Act Social Media Toolkit press release, bill text, and to sign on as an endorser. We need those endorsers. Thank you so much for listening to Community Action Update. You can find more of ISC social justice initiatives at iscla.org justice, where you can also find links and information about the individuals and organizations featured in today's episode for your convenience. Be sure to also follow us on social media at IndieShakes. Are there individuals, organizations, or causes in our community you want featured on our Community Action Update? Email me, Karen, at iscla.org, and that's Karen, C-A-R-E-N-E, at iscla.org, and I will add it to my list. The Griffith Park Free Shakespeare Festival is back in our original location at the Old Zoo. Julius Caesar begins performances July 5th, and A Midsummer Night's Dream begins August 9th. Performances run Wednesdays through Sundays at 7 p.m. until September 3rd. Until we meet this summer in the park, please stay safe, my fellow Angelinos.